last week, getting the opportunity to, to start that so this section um, and walking you through the book of Romans, as I shared with you and those of you who have been around me for a while, I'm kind of big on this book because I do think it's such a great package to understand the uh, scope of who God is and what he's done and our condition. And I'd say, you know, it's just that one book, if you're going to nail, nail this one, because this will help you understand and answer many, if not most, of the questions you'll encounter in your own personal journey as well as those that come to you. Last week, talking about sin, uh, which uh, to me is that crucial question. If you don't, if you don't understand the, our dilemma, you, everything else is just kind of a religious exercise, and you kind of compartmentalize different pieces of truth or information, and and it doesn't mean that much to the average believer if you don't understand the real depths of our of our dilemma. And so this has always been a part in presenting the gospel, whether you're doing it in a group setting, you know, the Billy Graham Crusades or the Young Life stuff or the presentations that Crusade does. It part of what you have to communicate for people to under and appreciate the great, wonderful news that I get to talk about this morning for a couple of minutes is that you've got to tell people what the problem is. And I am convinced, and I have 40 years of antidotes to tell you that last week was no anomaly for me. To be able to stand up and knowing that I was going to speak on uh, Romans 1 through uh, 3.20, which is the heart and the essence of the depravity of man, its totality, its completeness, what happens to us when we turn our backs from God and we exchange the truth for a lie and we start down this tumbling way and it answers how people can make such a mess of their lives. It's just sin taking its natural course. Well, in, in my journey over 40 years and doing uh, some of the stuff that I was privileged to do in the past, you got to bring that up. And I will tell you that on more than one occasion, in fact, just about every time I can think back, when I had to talk on the subject of sin, something strange always happens. Because I think it's as true back then as it is today is that our enemy does not want us to understand and really grasp our great need for a Savior. That way he can always marginalize the truth. He can marginalize this great need that we have not only for a Savior for eternity, but a Savior for our walk today. And so I've always sensed a real spiritual battle over all these, you know, going on good 40 years now, when I get to share the gospel, but when I get to the subject of our problem, that uh, there's, there's always something strange going on that kind of disrupts the, the flow. And so uh, last week was not weird to me at all about having the, the mic go out and all of that, because the truth is the truth. God wants us to know that we have a real problem. And so when he was telling the Romans that, he was, you know, in his great wisdom, knew that we would be talking about it at Watermark some 2,000 years later. Not quite 2,000 years from the time he wrote the letter, but close. But in this journey, anyway, that we know there is a spiritual battle going on. The reception of truth, the embracing of truth, and then applying the, what God would have us do is the journey. And you've got an enemy, and your enemy would choose you not to have that so that you stay in mediocrity for the rest of your life so that you are rendered ineffective in your mission to be a light in a dark and fallen world. So as we continue this journey of through Romans and the guys get up week after week, it's real fun because I want you to 
to piece this together, guys, it all ties together. What we've said so far is the, the first three chapters basically talk about sin. The first part is the wrath of God on sin. The second part, second chapter, is that everyone is guilty. The third part of that is the first part of chapter 3, which is that it is total. There's not some of you that are a little bit better than others or that I'm better than you. It's just that our depravity is total. We, I left you last week with the idea that we are dead men walking. And so the great news today is if that's called the bad news... Then Paul, after he sets out the, our condition, wants to transition into the, new, the good news, the best news. And the best news starts with verse, chapter 3, verse 21. This is where we pick up this new section. And it starts with a but. One of the biggest buts in the New Testament. Anybody that teaches the Scriptures or studies the Scriptures or wants to be a student of the Scriptures needs to know that transitions and conjunctions are crucial words in your understanding of how to, to personally get into the, to the Bible. You need to know and you need to catch on things when you see words like therefore and but because he's changing direction. He's saying, all right, we got a huge, huge, huge problem with this sin thing. But there's an answer to it. And this is now where he's going, and he launches into the rest of the book. From this problem of sin, he's going to tell you what God's done about the sin. He's going to tell about what you do with God's solution. And then he's going to talk to you, talk to us about what it means to walk with Christ. When you start picking up chapters 5 through 11, when we get to that section, it's all predicated on, this first, on the first few. The fact that we've got a problem, God did something about our problem, and how do we respond to the problem? And that's what we get to talk about. This big but. It says, you know, but uh, now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Verse 22. Even the righteousness of God through faith. It's introducing that idea. In Jesus Christ for all of those who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23 is a lifetime memory verse because it basically summarizes those first three chapters. But it comes at the end of saying, God's done two things. The, the playing field is like way lopsided when you're through talking about sin. We're in bad shape. And all of a sudden, by what he did at Calvary, the playing field is even. Everybody is guilty under sin, but now he's made a provision for everybody. And so if you're fallen, if you were the Roman, you're going... By the time you're through with three, you should be in a position of desperation. Going, this is not a good position for me to be in. That's correct. So now he starts saying, but this is what he's done for you. And he introduces this whole idea of faith. So you get the biggest problem with the biggest answer. This is depravity versus uh, provision. And this is, this is what you want to know about chapter three. This is the transition. You got a mess? You got, a, you got an answer. And that's where he goes with this beautiful thing in the, the, the rest of this uh, chapter. Um, basically, they, those verses 22, 23, 24 are talking about everybody's under sin. Now everybody has a provision. And I say they're key words. Uh, for your time this morning, 
Uh, I would love to get into this if we, if we had more time together, but we do not. But I want you to know that there are key words that explain what Christ has done for us. Remember, if we are dead men walking, then he has to do something to make dead men become alive. So a God who is very much alive became dead so that we who are dead could become alive. That's the transition here. And the key words here are a beautiful picture of it. That's why we use them all. And you've heard them at different times, and they sound real theological. But they tell, it's a beautiful mosaic of what it is that God has done for us in making us alive. Those great words. I've got through a few of them up here, and I do hope that you take a couple of second guys and discuss them. Uh, They're words like justification, righteousness. Redemption, one of the sweetest words in the world. What are you redeemed from? If you understand the first three chapters, you know now why you need to be redeemed. You're dead. You owe a penalty. Penalty. Propitiation. I heard some guys out front there you know, uh, giggling, but just because it's, it's the, the fun nature of what that means. And where else do you hear the word propitiation? And what it means what it means that God is satisfied with what his son did. What a big, does that make a difference? It makes all the difference in the world. To have, to owe a debt to someone and to have that debt satisfied so much that it says that it, that it uses the word that it is propitiated or that it has been satisfied. I need no more. God doesn't need anything else from you to complete the transaction. He has been propitiated. You guys talk about it. Um, the word faith. I want to talk about that because that's our chapter four. And then imputation or to be imputed. Uh, what does it mean to, to, be, to have something imputed to you? What is imputed? Well, we need before, if we are going to have a relationship with a holy God, then we need to have something we don't have. And we don't have righteousness. Remember we just said, Romans 3.10 said, there's no, no one right, no, not one. None of us carry righteousness in ourselves. So God imputes righteousness. He gives us a status before himself that otherwise we wouldn't have on our own. It's imputed. Uh, verse 26 of chapter 3, I would tell you, I, that'd be one of the verses I'd underline. And I tell the guys, in fact, this, you know, I meet uh, weekly with a group of guys talking about the book of Romans as well. And we're doing the same thing. We're titling chapters. And I have titled my chapter 3, The Just and the Justifier. And if you understand what it means to be the just, which is, he is the just, he's the righteous one, he's the holy one. He's the one that deserves justice. And yet he's the one that justifies. He's the one that satisfies himself. It's, uh, it's amazing. But you don't understand it when you, until you realize what a bad situation we're in. We just bring nothing to the game. Therefore, what he's done for us is so incredibly wonderful. Because what we're basically talking about here, guys, we talk about the resurrection of Christ being the, the focal point of our faith. But you realize it is the resurrection of Christ that makes our resurrection from the dead possible. So when you talk about becoming a believer, a follower of Christ, one who puts his faith in God, which we'll talk about in just 30 seconds, you're talking about 
a resurrection. You're talking about a dead man walking that now becomes alive. That's no small deal. You're not joining a club. What you are doing is you are, you are witnessing your own resurrection. We who were once dead are now alive. And that, he brings that up in chapter 4 again. Um, I call chapter 4 the response to Revelation. If God has told us now that we're a sinner, and he's also said, and now I've made a provision for your sin, the question comes to you and me, what do we do with it? And if he's going to build this whole theology, which he does in the book of Romans, that's the next logical step. That's how you're going to remember what's in this book. You're going to continue to put the pieces together. So by the time you get a few chapters into it and you go, okay, I'm a Christian who understands his sin, who by faith has trusted Christ, but why do I still sin? Paul says that's the natural progression of what your logic should be. Why do you still sin if you know this wonderful Savior who's paid an incredible price because you were dead. Well, he puts it all together. That's why this book makes sense. So what is the response? Uh, The response is faith. Uh, And you guys are going to talk a a bunch about this in your group. I don't want to steal too much thunder, but I also don't want to miss the chance to talk very specifically that faith is not some kind of deal that you make. Faith is a response of total trust in what God has said. Let me say it again. Faith is total trust in what, in what God has revealed in his word. That's why people in the Old Testament, people think that there's a, well, people in the Old Testament are saved differently than they were in the New Testament. And I go, no, that's not true. That's not what Romans 4 says at all. That's not what Genesis 12 through 18 says. 21, excuse me. It says that we're saved by faith. We're saved by our response to what God has made in the provision. Whatever God has revealed, that's what we're responsible for. What God has revealed to you, that his son died on the cross for you. He took your place. You and I should have been on that cross. He has revealed that to us. Now the question is, what do you do with it? You don't make a deal with them. You don't make a contract. You believe in it. You receive the gift. That's why the scriptures keep calling it a gift. You don't pay for it. I love these people that you give them a gift and then they turn around and try to write you a check for it. Or they can't take it. Or, you know, like, well, they don't understand grace because that's what grace is. Grace is giving you something you don't deserve. And that's what he's done on the cross. Our response is to receive it that's what faith is. The great picture of this comes out, you go to, it, write down Numbers 21, nine, we're, uh, 8 and 9. We're not going to have time to go there. But it's a great picture because Jesus also uses it in John 3. Todd referred to it uh, on lesson 412 in, his, uh, in our walk through John. Thank you for those who have been here on Sunday morning. Knowing he's put a few messages in that book. But in John 3, he talks about the same, this Numbers 21 passage. Numbers 21, for you guys to bringing you up quickly up to date, it was a situation there in the wilderness. They had a little problem. They had a little problem with snakes. And these snakes were biting everybody, and they were dying by the thousands. 
these vipers, and there was no remedy for them. There wasn't medication. There wasn't anything they could do about these snakes. So they ran to Moses and said, Moses, these snakes, the vipers are destroying our whole, our whole population. Moses turns to God and he says, uh, we need help. Our people are dying and they need a savior. Oh, there's a good expression, isn't it? God says, I'll tell you what you do. You take a standard, take a serpent, put it on top of a bronze serpent, put it on top of the standard and lift the standard up. And when people get bitten by a snake or the viper and they realize they're going to die, see how important this realizing you're going to die thing is? You got to know the, the real problem. And when they realize they're in bad shape, they, they're supposed to look up at the standard that you're holding. And when they look up at the standard, they will live. They don't cut any deal. They don't do anything other than believe in God's provision. Faith. Jesus used, used that very illustration in John 3. He says, son of man will be lifted up. What's our standard? Well, the cross was lifted up. See how the Bible continues to tie itself together? You know, we don't have to work that hard. We just need to open our eyes. Because God puts his son on the standard. It becomes the provision for our death sentence. And our job is to look at it. That response to saying, that's the only hope I have. That's what faith is. They said, well, I'm going to do the best I can, and I'm going to believe in the cross. I'm going to join the church and believe in the cross. I'm going to start having quiet times and believe in the cross. He's going, no, you believe in the cross. That's the only hope we have, that you believe in the revelation that God has given us, and his revelation is that he sent his son. Faith. Chapter 4 is a big one. You will remember Romans chapter 4. Because it's, uh, that was my looking at the clock, because it is this picture of, of faith. And he uses the Old Testament, a friend of ours, Abraham, because he wants you to know that the Old Testament and the New Testament are consistent. It's always, salvation always comes by faith. It's never been by works, guys. And that's why if you did a comparative religion uh, course, you, you know, some of you have done that with me before. I, we used to teach, I used to teach a deal on world religions around here before we were uh, so large in number. And part of that whole deal is every religion we looked at, including Islam, Judaism, and all the other world's great religions, all have a part of works as their equation for eternity, for salvation. The Christian faith is totally unique and it has nothing to do with works. But works are important. So I would say, I would say this in your group as you get together, uh, as you read chapter 4. So what is faith? It's believing God's word. So what's faith look like? It's acting on God's word. Now, you know, if faith to the world is somebody that can, goes on and continues, not only do I believe in the cross, but I believe what he says about how I love Susan is equally important. I believe what he says about my money is equally important. I believe that my relationship with you and what he says about that is equally important. So my faith is acted out in obedience. I said, what's it look like? It looks like somebody who's reading the Bible and doing what continues to do what God says, because that's what we believe. That's why we say, if you want to show me your faith, you know, you show your faith with the things that you do. And by what God has said in the Word. Um, 
I said, what does faith look like? It's acting on God's word. How does faith respond in a world we live? It's obedience to the word. And what's the role of faith in everyday life? I say it's abiding in the world. I got this comment. I used to tell my my guys, um, if you're going to follow Christ and you're going to abide in the word, because he says that's the key to success. And again, that's the chapters we got coming up that uh, some other lucky guy gets to talk to you about. Uh, when we get there, but you're talking about one of the keys to maintaining your, your, a vibrant relationship with Christ and why as Christians we don't have to live in sin, though we often choose to, is a matter of walking with Christ, walking in the Spirit, relying on the Holy Spirit, and knowing what His Word says. You can't live a life of obedience, fellas, if you don't know what He's asking you to do. And if you're counting on Todd to give you a few minutes of it every week or, you know, one or two things, you're, you're going to stay in a, in a state of infancy instead of being the men that God is calling us all to be. Therefore, there's a process in this that you have to have your own walk with Jesus. You have to be taken in the Word of God so that you can walk in faith. Abiding in the Word. Uh, and then the last power part of four, which is really where I would have spent all my time. It's on the story of Abraham. It's a beautiful one. Um, I would point out verse 17 is verses that I keep, you've been hearing me say for the last couple of mornings. Um, It says this, as a father of many nations, I have made you in the presence of him who would believe even God who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. You are looking at one of the ones that God has called into being who did not exist. I was dead. A Christ made me alive, just like he made you alive. The response to our sin problem and what he did is faith. Do you believe that he did what he said he did? Well, the word of God is the proof. But you and I become the examples. If you knew me before I knew Christ, you'd know that we had a God. And if I knew you before you knew Christ, I'd say the same thing. Love to spend more time, but you guys are going to go have a great time with this passage. Uh, Let me pray for us. Father, thanks for these men, for this morning that we get to uh, spend time in a living document. The word you've given us, how supernatural it is because through which you give us truth. And because the truth that you give us, you will allow it to to become part of our fiber, and, and you, you make dead men alive. Make this dead man more alive today, Father. Thank you that, uh, uh, that I'm free from that, and I pray that today I don't walk in that old deadness. I pray for my friends that they choose not to walk in that deadness, but they choose to live lives of faith, trusting your word to be true, and that you've called us to things much greater than ourselves. So bless these guys as they study your word today and as they love one another. Uh, continue to change us, Father. Make us look more like your son. In his name I pray, amen.